Visit comicweb.com for more information and find us on Facebook and iTunes. Monday is Labor Day, so we're featuring the Boomer Jones Radio Show, produced by the IAM Union. It first aired on September 3rd, 1950. Makes my heart beat with pride, with a joy I can't hide, as they work side by side. Labor, who never fails to come through, for the red, white, and blue, with the work they can do. Labor! Boomer Jones. Presenting Brian Dunleavy as the narrator, William Holden as Eddie, and Marie McDonald as Maggie in Boomer Jones. Directed by Mel Ferrer. Written by Morton Wishengrad, with music by David Raxton. Brought to you by the International Association of Machinists. So, you want to be an apprentice? Yes, sir. Term of indenture is four years. Well, that's all right with me. Ten hours a day, six days a week. I'm willing, sir. For the first three months, your pay is nothing. Zero. After that, it's five cents an hour. Yes, sir. Now, pay attention. This is an engine lathe. That one's a turret lathe. There's a planer, and there, that's a shaper. And this machine in my hand is a broom. Take a good, firm hold and sweep the floor. Your name was Eddie Jones. It was 1904. And for the next four years of your life, the lathe became the altar before which you worshipped. Manuals on mathematics and metallurgy became your prayer book. And for ten hours each day, six days each week, you trained yourself to set up a job and to complete a job. To take cold steel, shapeless, unformed, raw, and to machine it within a thousandth of an inch, transforming the dead metal into something live. Hmm, not bad, Eddie. It's not bad at all. It made you feel good. You could handle any tool in the shop now, any machine. Yeah, that's nice work, Eddie. You weren't an apprentice anymore. You were a journeyman now. As a matter of fact, in the next election, you'd be voting for the President of the United States. Even Mr. Vesey, the boss, was aware of it. Because in your pay envelope, there was a little slip of paper. Old McDaniels at the next lathe had one, too. My reading glasses are all smudged. What does it say, Eddie? It says to all employees, the management has no desire to influence the votes of its workers. However, should William Jennings Bryan be elected president, this plant will shut down. Who are you going to vote for, Eddie? Have I got any choice? No, I guess you haven't. I'm going to vote for William Jennings Bryan. You were a machinist, all right. Independent. It wasn't that you were conceited about yourself, but you were a man of skill. You were a craftsman with the self-respect and the self-reliance that belongs with craftsmanship. No one could order you around. No one except Maggie Wilson. 
Ahem. Uh, the horse stopped. <laughs> That's right, he did, didn't he? Must be tired. You might as well make him go. There'll be no smooching. Oh, Maggie, just one kiss. One little one. About so big. Uh-uh. Oh, come on. No. Okay, so big. I'm not in the mood. Maggie. No, I said. Don't you like me anymore? You, Eddie? You're the man I'm going to marry. Well, what is it, honey? Eddie, it's about time somebody told you the facts of life. Here I am, baby. Teach me. There's a little more to living than being a skilled mechanic. For instance? Not having to live with your in-laws, for instance. Furniture that isn't second-hand, for instance. Having a little money for... I make 20 cents an hour. That's a pretty good wage. Is it? Men doing the same work in St. Louis get 40 cents an hour. And they don't have to work 10 hours a day either. Get up. Oh, now you're angry with me for being bossy. No. Who told you about St. Louis? A friend of Dad's. Eddie, don't be angry. Eddie, please? Let's be friends. You brooded about what she told you. When you got a chance, you asked old Mal McDaniels about it. McDaniels, what's so different about this town in St. Louis? Machinists in St. Louis got themselves a union. Well, that was simple, wasn't it? You'd form a branch of the union. Eddie, it ain't that I'm scared, mind you, but, well, uh, Mr. Vesey don't approve. Maybe that's why you did it. It was the machinist in you coming out in stubbornness. There are a few guys here crawling to cut the foreman's grass. Watch out for stooges and stool pigeons. You didn't have to watch out for anything. It was a free country, wasn't it? And you did your work, didn't you? Still, you weren't surprised when the boss sent for you. Young man, from what they tell me, you're no shoemaker. If you keep it up, you can be a crackerjack machinist. In the machine shop, there's no higher praise. Mr. Beasy, I... Any Monday, Eddie, there'll be an extra cent an hour in your pay envelope. What do you think of that, huh? Thanks for the penny. Well, I must say you don't sound very grateful. Well, I was going to ask for an increase of a nickel as a start. Hmm. You put a pretty high value on yourself, young fellow. Well, shouldn't I, Mr. Vesey? You did. Young fellow, you ought to be a little bit more respectful. Mr. Vesey, five cents an hour sounds a lot more respectful than, than a penny an hour. <laughs> yeah, you're no fool, are you? No, sir. Tell me, Eddie, if you're not a fool, why did you go and join the union? Answer that. <laughs> when I joined, they warned me there were stool pigeons around. Stool pigeon is a harsh word. Myself, I prefer the term loyal worker. And suppose right here and now we make it absolutely plain that I won't have anybody in this shop who belongs to the union. Mr. Beasy, you belong to an association of employees. For my protection, young fellow. Yes, sir. And I've joined an association of workers for my protection. I repeat, this company will not employ any machinist who joins the union. I joined the union, sir. <laughs> I like a young fellow with spunk. You're all right. And on your way out, stop by at the cashier's window. You're fired. The Education of Eddie Jones. If you had taken the trouble to read it, you could have found it in the code of the association. Quote. It is the privilege of the employee to leave our employ whenever he sees fit. And it is the privilege of the employer to discharge any workman when he sees fit. Unquote. The association called it a statement on freedom of employment. 
but Maggie found other words. Eddie Jones, machinist first class, citizen second class. Oh, cheer up, Eddie. There are plenty of other jobs. Look, here's an ad in the newspaper. All around journeymen to install, erect, and maintain printing presses. And so, very early the next morning, you applied for the job. Are you industrious, young fellow? No, sir, I'm lazy. I say? Don't ever hire an industrious machinist, sir. Hire a lazy one. They're the best kind. Well, that's a novel point of view. I don't think so. Don't you, young fellow? No, it's as old as the first man who was too lazy to keep rubbing a couple of sticks together every time he wanted to build a fire. He was so lazy, he invented a match. <laughs> you got something, young fellow. The way I see it, sir, you can put down most of the human progress to a kind of laziness. You know, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> I know it sounds like a joke, but it's true. The best machinists are always trying to improve the machines, to think of something better. I guess I try to be like them. Mm, I believe you, young fellow. Er, what did you say your name was? Jones. Well, Jones, I like you. I think I'd like to have you work for me. <laughs> I can begin right now. Well, that suits me fine. Now you can report to Mr. Olney. And... Oh, uh... by the way, Jones, what did you say your first name was? <laughs> I guess I didn't say. It's Eddie. Uh, just a second, please. Uh, Edward S. Jones? Yes, sir. I'm sorry. You're sorry? That's right. I'm afraid we can't use you. You didn't tell Maggie that your name had been placed on a blacklist. You had to make sure. Sorry, nothing here for you. All right. If they wouldn't hire Eddie Jones, maybe they'd hire a journeyman who gave a name like, uh, well, a name like... Uh, my name is Wilson. Fred Wilson. Just a moment. He was studying a card index. Now, for the first time, you understood what the blacklist meant. They had circulated your photograph in a complete description. It's a shame. I've been looking for a man to overhaul a Corliss engine. My hunch is you're the man. But I can't take a chance on hiring you. No, sirree. I couldn't take the chance. Well, it's your business, isn't it? Maybe so. But if I hire a union member, I can be expelled from the Employers Association. Maybe it's different in other industries. But here in the metal trade, well... Sorry. Nice to have met you. Young man, try to understand my position. <laughs> That's funny. Is it? If I'm kicked out of the association, other companies won't sell me raw materials or buy my finished product. Young man, it's the blacklist for you. I don't want it to be the boycott for me. You look like a decent sort. You take my advice? Why don't you try some other city? And suddenly, it came over you almost with the sharpness of pain that skill was not enough, and training wasn't enough, and experience wasn't enough. Suddenly, you saw it clearly. You saw how exposed you were, and not you alone. Old man McDaniel was exposed by age. And the new apprentice sweeping the floor was exposed by youth. And the journeyman building the steam turbine was exposed because he was separated from the journeyman, keeping it in repair. The answer was so simple. In your pocket, in the little card on which was printed, International Association of Machinists. That night, 
You sat on the steps of Maggie's house and you tried to put it into words. Maggie, you know something I've been thinking. Uh-oh, that's bad. All we've got is our hands. Nothing else. And yet they're afraid of us. They're afraid of me. That's why they fired you. Because they're so afraid of you. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? Well, it is crazy, isn't it? No, you're wrong. They're so frightened, they've joined together to keep us separated and apart. I'd say they're doing a good job of it. We're separated and apart, you and me. Why are we apart? Because we haven't got a strong union, that's why. Like you and me. Oh, for heaven's sake, Maggie, I'm serious. Teddy Jones, what makes you think I'm joking? We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. Uh, look, Maggie... And you keep your hands to yourself, Eddie Jones. Not this time. I'm saying goodbye. Eddie. I'm leaving town tonight. You're a grown man. I suppose you know what you're doing. There's no work for me here. It makes sense to try another town. You could go back to Mr. Zizi. He'd take you back if you said you were sorry. You want me to do that? No, Eddie. It's what you just said. When you feel yourself falling, you grab out at anything. Oh, don't pay any attention to me, Eddie. Where will you go? Cleveland, Chicago, St. Louis, wherever the train goes. You haven't even got money for train fare. Oh, I'll be traveling in style. I'll have an empty boxcar all to myself. Eddie? Yes? You'll be coming back, won't you? No. Oh. But I'll send for you. Oh. Don't worry, kid. There'll be a union yet. You walked with her down to the railroad yard, and you said goodbye. In your pocket, a union card. In your hands, the knowledge of your trade. In your heart, a sense of purpose. This was all the baggage you carried when you got out of town. in an empty boxcar in a freight train traveling from one American place to another and a loneliness comes over you. You listen to the sound of the rail. You hear the whistle of the engine and the emptiness of the boxcar seems suddenly vast and terrifying. It grows worse when the train stops at a siding near some village. Force open the door, and in the darkness, you can see a light in a house where people live and are together, and suddenly there's nothing you want more than the sound of a human voice. All right, bum. The voice is human enough, but not especially friendly. It's the brakeman. Come on, hobo. Hustle off. I'm not a hobo. Sure, and I'm the president of the railroad. I do this for a hobby. Go on, beat it. I'm looking for a job. Yeah. Hold your face up to the lantern. Hey, what are you riding on? My nerve, I guess. And this union card. Huh? Machinist union. Well, why didn't you say so? I'm a member of one of the railroad brotherhoods. Now, fella, you sit tight. I'll bring you some coffee. Don't go away, brother. he did say, brother. It's just a word, isn't it? Just a couple of union people meeting one another somewhere in the United States of America in the year 1909. So what? You're not a kid anymore. You blow your nose and you wonder a little at yourself. 
In the next weeks, in machinist lodges across many states, the wonder in you increases. Are you broke, brother? I guess I am. Or you can go to any machinist lodge in the USA and show that union card. It's always good for a couple of bucks. Say, come on home. We've got a bed that isn't doing anything. Things are quiet here. Try one of the railroad machine shops in Kansas City. Thanks for the tip. Have you eaten? Ha <laughs> ha, when? Let's go. Ever build a repair locomotive? No. Think you'd like it? I'd like it fine. Ah, I guess we can fix you up with a job. But be careful. For every two machinists in this shop, there's one stool pigeon. Watch your step, Boomer. Boomer. That's what he called you. And it was true. Out of the first railroad machine shops the Boomers had traveled, journeyman machinists going from town to town, spreading the gospel of trade unionism. And now, that's what you were. Eddie Jones. Boomer Jones. That's him. That's the union missionary I told you about. Ah, should have known. All right, you. Get your time. You're through. You were a married man now, and you had responsibilities, and so you promised Maggie that next time you'd try to be more careful. Only the next time you were handled by company police. And the time after that the goons of the infamous Railroad Audit Bureau caught you outside your house. There he goes. Here you are, Eddie Jones. It was an eventful career. They broke your nose up in Canada in 1911. They caved in two of your ribs in San Francisco in 1912. But the union was growing. From 23,000 to 43,000 to 61,000 to 75,000. Yes, the machinist union was growing. It was 1915 now. And by this time, it looked like the automobile was here to stay. And so, for six months, mostly out of curiosity, you worked as an auto mechanic. Every time you changed jobs now, Maggie was giving you a queer look. But this time, it was Maggie herself who brought the letter in. I suppose you opened it. Mm, I suppose I have. Maggie, why do you do things like that? Woman's curiosity, I guess. Well, if you can open my pay envelope, I guess you can open my mail. Who's it from? Machinist? Grand Lodge, Washington, D.C. Dear sir and brother, I know you'll be very happy to hear that a majority of the machinists at the D.C. Company have joined the union. It occurred to us that you and the wife might enjoy a visit to the old neighbors, and while you're about it, you might help in negotiations with Mr. Veazey for a union contract. Mr. Veazey has an idea that... Eddie, things have been pretty good around here. Okay, Maggie, I'll wire the Grand Lodge to send somebody else. Eddie, you know it'll only turn into a scrap. Well, I won't go, Maggie. I just told you I'll send a wire. Because there's bound to be trouble. You know it. Ticket line, day and night, never knowing where you are, when you'll be home, worrying... In God's name, who are you arguing with? I said I'm not going. Well, 
You can't blame me for trying. You get out the suitcases. I'll pack our things. What are you doing here? Mr. BZ, the union has asked me to talk to you about a union contract here. The union's gone out of its mind. Now get out. Eddie represents us, Mr. BZ. Don't you think you ought to listen to him? I have nothing to say to him, McDaniels, nor to you. Your machinists are entitled to a raise. Get out of here. And in addition, Mr. BZ, they're entitled to an eight-hour day. Get out of here. Plus union security. You heard what I said. Get out of here. I heard you, Mr. BZ. Did you hear what I said? I give you 30 seconds to leave these premises. Come on, Eddie, let's go. You can shut off the power, Mr. Vesey. We took the vote this morning. Your machinists are on strike. The only good strike is a strike that has ended. You know this. But you also know that sometimes only through a strike can you preserve your dignity as a human being. Yes, higher wages are important. Yes, reduced hours are important. But to be treated with civility and respect, that's something even more important. You know that. And for that, you go on strike. During the first week of the strike, Mr. Vesey makes a public announcement. Unless the strikers return immediately to work, the company will be obliged to suspend operations in this city and remove all its equipment to our plant in Pennsylvania. Hey, Eddie, what are we going to do? I knew this was wrong. You got us into this. Take it easy, boys. Settle down. How about it, Eddie? I've got a telegram in my pocket from the Grand Lodge. Shall I read it? Sure. Well, listen carefully, then. You'll find it interesting. Yesterday at 2 o'clock, machinists for the Pennsylvania branch of the BZ Company went on strike. Listen, listen. This morning, we received a telegram threatening that if we didn't go back to work, operations would be closed down here and equipment transferred to your city. We're betting BZ tried to pull the same old stall on you. Do we win our bet? <laughs> now, with your permission, I'd like to wire the following reply. Quote, you win your bet, and we're both going to win this strike. Shall I send it? Yeah. You sent the wire, and for another week, and a second week, and a month, you walked the picket line. Eddie, he's bringing in strike breakers. But a strike breaker is not a machinist. He's only a strike breaker. He comes to the job with neither skill nor self-respect, only with greed. And greed cannot operate a lathe, or repair a locomotive, or service a car, or assemble an airplane. This, too, is a fact of industrial life, an expensive fact, which takes a little time for learning. Mr. Vesey serves his time, and then he calls you. I'm ready to grant an eight-hour day and a wage increase of eight cents an hour. And union recognition, Mr. Vesey. You and McDaniel's got the other things. Leave union recognition alone. Union recognition comes first. You can't build a house without a foundation. Union recognition, Mr. Beasley. I'll leave that for next year or the year after. The trouble with you union fellas is that you want everything in a hurry. I'll take it from someone older. You've got to take a broader view. You have to see things in the long run. McDaniels gets his wages in the short run, Mr. Beasley. His wife feeds his family in the short run. He enjoys an extra hour of leisure in the short run. Mr. Veazey, we laugh in the short run. 
A finger bleeds in the short run. We rejoice and sorrow and live our lives in the short run. And in the long run, we all die. We'll take union recognition now. Mm. <laughs> Eddie, tell me, do the other negotiators for the machinist union talk like you? <laughs> Some talk a good deal better, Mr. Vesey. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. All right, boys, put it in the contract. Union recognition. <laughs> building of a democratic American institution, the International Association of Machinists. No, not the whole story, not even a part of the story, yet Eddie Jones, Boomer Jones, stands as a symbol of the skilled and devoted men and women, the craftsmen who have built industrial America. And to those who have newly come, Eddie Jones has a word to say. When you get your first pay envelope... Open it up and look inside. What do you see? Look hard. Do you see it? There's the extra nickel an hour that cost me two broken ribs in 1912. There's the four cents McDaniels won for you by staying on the picket line in that winter of 1915. All the sacrifices, all the fighting and the courage and all the intelligence and the devotion of all the pioneers who've gone on before. All in your pay envelope. The late hours... The meetings, the negotiations, our wives waiting by themselves. All the things we gave up, it's right there. That's how we built the union. For you. What kind of a union? The IAM has more collective bargaining agreements with more employers than any other union in the world. The IAM is one of the largest of the railroad unions. Largest union in the aircraft industry. Largest union of auto mechanics. Largest union in the machine tool industry. Largest union in the business machine industry. One of the largest unions of government employees. 600,000 of the most skilled workers in the United States and Canada. From their hands have come the Atomic Energy Project at Oak Ridge and Hanford. From their skills, TVA and hydroelectric power... From their craftsmanship, jet propulsion, supersonic aircraft, our tanks, our submarines, our great carriers. These are the men and women. From them, the locomotive, the steamship, the automobile, the printing press, the engines of our democracy. And on this day, they remind us that behind every machine there stands a man. Behind every jig and fixture and pattern, there stands a human being. It's something important to know and something you should not forget. Thank you, William Holden, Marie McDonald, and Brian Dunleavy, and the other members of our cast for a stirring performance. And now I present the president of the International Association of Machinists, Al Hayes. I am speaking for the thousands of men and women of the Machinists' Union who make and maintain the machines upon which our industrial society is based, for the hundreds of thousands who work at those machines to produce the materials of our living and the defense of our country. On their behalf, I want to add just this much to the story of Eddie Jones, who was one of us. Our union has been able to accomplish a great deal for its members, 
because it is respected everywhere as an honest, democratic organization. Our organization is open to every American or Canadian employed in manufacturing, installing, repairing, and, or operating machinery. Ours is not a closed union. Its policies are controlled by the votes of the membership in secret ballot referendum. Membership in the machinist union means more than higher wages and shorter hours. Membership in our union means dignity for our labor, respect for our skills, and justice on the job. Beyond that, it embraces the good and welfare of every living American. As a matter of history, the labor movement has led every fight to better the lot of the plain people, from free public schools and the right to vote of 100 years ago, to workmen's compensation and the old age pensions of our time. In large part, the heritage of America is a proud accomplishment of working people. On behalf of every man and woman in our union, I pledge that our fight for these things will continue until the promise of America is fulfilled, until freedom and justice are in truth the birthright of all men. You have just heard a special program presented as a public service by the International Association of Machinists. Brian Dunleavy was the narrator. William Holden was featured as Eddie Jones and Marie McDonald as Maggie. The part of McDaniels was taken by James Bell. Mr. Vesey by Harold Vermilia. Others in the cast were Jeff Corey, Barney Phillips, Tom Powers, Earl Ross, Michael Ross, and Herb Weigman. Your announcer is Hi Aberbach. This transcribed program produced by M.S. Novick was presented by the International Association of Machinists. When you reach the age of 21, there's a job for your country that should be done. You owe it to yourself and the USA to vote on election day. Study the issues so that you select a candidate honest and true. We need men to see the light who guard our freedom day and night. It's your way to show the world that we own a share and believe in democracy. You owe it to yourself and the USA to vote on election day. Boomer Jones was a 1950 radio show produced by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, the IAM, and it first appeared, aired coast-to-coast -coast on the Mutual Network on September 3, 1950, a day before Labor Day. The show was followed by a speech from Al Hayes, who was at the time the international president of the IAM. Boomer Jones was written by Morton Wishingrad and was directed by Mel Ferrer. Major roles were played by three of the top Hollywood stars of that time, William Holden, Marie McDonald, and Brian Donlevy, and they all donated their time and talent. The radio program was the first of its kind ever attempted by a trade union and told the story of the old-time boomers, or otherwise known as union organizers, who helped build one of the largest industrial trade unions in American history. Production of Boomer Jones required eight months of research into the early years of the IAM to make the final production as accurate as possible. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.